Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not against even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war and yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do not think that the scriptures say in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We need to go back to the book of Acts a moment. To lay some groundwork for what I want to say. Second chapter of Acts, the first verse, deals with the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the body of believers that were assembled in the upper room after the Ascension of the Lord, of the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I think it's important for us to realize that that first group that we could call the church only became filled with the Holy Ghost when two things were achieved. And that is, they were in one place and they were united. And the Lord evidently was waiting for a point in time when he could send the Holy Spirit not to a divided body of the church, not to people who were in dissension, but to people who had gathered at one time and in, in, uh, in one place, and they were united of one court. And when that situation was achieved, then God sent the Holy Spirit. So he came to a body that was fully in agreement with each other. All right, with that statement, then go to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to see a, a period of time in which they, all, they again were of one accord. And I'm not going to read all of it, except I want you to go to, um, if I can remember where it is, verse 13. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The background of this particular passage is that James and John have been threatened with death if they continue to preach. And they've done so and have 
the rulers of the synagogue, the temple, had brought Peter and John before them and had admonished them for, for preaching this way. And verse 13 says, when they saw the boldness, that is, the, the religious people, the members of the temple, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, there's one thing I think we need to realize, and I want to use this verse to point out. There is a difference between having book knowledge, having a degree from high school, from college, from advanced uh, uh, institutions of learning, and that which is received by the direct hand of God. There are lots of well-educated fools in this world, and I'm sure you have run into them as well as I. For anybody who does not have a lot of formal education, do not think that you need to take a back seat to anybody. Whatever the reasons might be for your not achieving more than you have achieved. Because we see that it was unlearned men that turned the world upside down. Not the educated men and women, but the unlearned. And the reason that they were capable of doing this stemmed from their relationship to Jesus Christ and not their relationship to a formal education. Some of the wisest people in this world, and my grandfather was one of them, who never went beyond the fourth grade, but that was one of the wisest men I ever knew. And I attributed his wisdom to the fact that he had a good relationship to the Lord, and therefore imparted that. So these men took knowledge that uneducated, unlearned, ignorant really, no education, no formal education, they marveled at the knowledge they had. God is a tremendous teacher. He sends the Holy Spirit to fill us full of those things that he wants us to know and understand. And all we've got to do is be a vessel open and, and willing and, and ready to receive what he says. All right. It's this group of, of ignorant, uneducated men uh, that uh, began to turn the world upside down, and they refused to quit, quit preaching. Down to verse 23 in Acts chapter 4. After they have threatened James and John, what did they do? Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company. They went to their church people, their family. If there is anybody that we ought to be able to go to when we are in trouble and distressed and heartbroken and all those things, it ought to be to our family. If it is not our blood family, our biological family, certainly it ought to be possible for us to all to come to our church family and there be able to pour out our heart and the rest of us understand and be able to receive each other just like we did before, before the message. And be able to say, I love you. 
or whatever the reasons might be. So they went to the church and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them about not preaching. Verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. When there was trouble in their midst, the church got together in one accord and prayed. One accord. I'm not going to read that whole prayer. I preached about that prayer some weeks back. But they prayed that God would grant James, or, or Peter and John, grant Peter and John wisdom, boldness, and so on. Verse 31 is very important. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. It ought to be that when the church assembles and prays in one accord, that there ought to be a shaking. And I've been in services when that's happened, haven't you? I've been in some services right here when the, when the Holy Spirit came into our midst and really shook us. We had uh, a really a mountaintop experience. They were shaken, and the latter portion of verse 31 says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And then what did they do? They spoke the Word of God with boldness. In other words, they totally ignored and paid no attention to the threats that had been placed upon them of imprisonment and even, even death. They went right on and preached the word of God because they knew that the church was behind them and supporting them, lifting them up. And the latter portion of, well, all of verse 32, and the multitude of them, that is the church, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Now, all we have said to this point is simply to point out in the early history of the church there was a oneness. When everybody was willing to, to work toward the same goal, they were not afraid of what the temple people might do, the high priest. They were working in spite of all of the admonishment that they had, had received. So, the early church was of one accord, of one heart. For a short period of time, they were together, and then things began to fall apart. And that brings me to the messages as to why do church people fight. There are those times of, uh, of unique togetherness, and then there comes those times when there, when there seeks indifferences and begins to cause a deterioration of any fellowship, this church or any other church, or even denominations. There will be a deterioration uh, sometimes in the midst of that fellowship. And James then speaks to the issue as to why this takes place. He asks the question in the very first verse, Why are there wars and fightings among you? Huh. And then he answers the question, Why is it that Christian people 
can't really get along with each other. You know, Baptists and Pentecostals don't get along. Methodists and Presbyterians, all Protestants and Catholics, and on and on we can go, but even down to within an individual fellowship, there is this person and that person that just can't get along. Disagree. You know, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing. The problem is when we're disagreeable in our disagreement. And this is the thing that ought not to be. Is a person who is a Christian being disagreeable? But James had begun already to discover that even in the early church that people were actually fighting with each other. They were brawling, as a matter of fact, is what the word really means when it says war. Where does all this brawling come from, he asks. Why is there fighting among you, he asks. And then he answers the question. He says, they come because of your lusts, war in your members. What does the word lust mean? Usually we take it to mean sexual appetites that are not proper, but that's only a portion of the meaning of the word lust. Really, lust means to have a personal desire that is not reasonable have that which should not be. The desire for uh, praise. One of the problems that happens in any congregation of people is that you're going to have to rub somebody pretty easily and praise them all the time or they're going to get mad. And I know that as a pastor. I've had 35 years of knowing that, I had to learn it the hard way. There are some people you get along with well, regardless of what goes on. There are some that you can't get along with at all unless you continually praise them and pat them on the back. You don't know anybody like that. Am I right? You've heard of them. You've seen them. You know them. Their ego must be massaged. Keep them pepped up and always in the limelight. Then there is the problem of the desire for power. Some people are power hungry. They must always be the head, the organizer, the chairman, the president, the leader of whatever is going on, and unless they are in that position, they won't be a part of the followers. It's a case of, it's my ball, and if you don't let me pitch, I'm going to take my ball and go home. The Christian attitude is, here is my ball. I'll go out in the outfield let somebody else pitch it. But because we haven't matured to the place of being a team member, then we get ourselves into difficulty. 
And I know, folks, you have had that experience in trying to take a whole group of individuals and make a team out of them. When everybody wants to be the star, when you go to Concord, there'll all be team workers down there. There won't be any individual stars that wants to have the limelight, I'm sure. It's strange that it doesn't happen only on the football field or the basketball court or the ball diamond, but it happens in our fellowships. When we become a group of individual stars who cannot participate unless we are the quarterback or the pitcher. It's nothing more than lust for power, for recognition, for self-praise, for prestige. And the thing that happens, that happened in the early church and happens yet today, is that we begin to think about ourselves and God and his service becomes secondary. We get our priorities switched. If we would seek God and his righteousness, the scripture tells us, then all these other things would be added to us. They would fall in proper perspective at the right time. But when a person begins to serve self instead of God, then he becomes the individual that wants to fight and war and create the havoc that goes on in any body of people. He says, why does this go on in your midst? Because you have a desire to fight. You lust after. You desire to have. And you can't get. So you fight and you war. You carouse, you backbite. These are the things that he's saying. The individual interest takes precedence over the good of the whole. And that's unfortunate that in any body that I have ever belonged to, church or secular organization or at work, there are those individuals who consider their interests superior to the welfare of the body and create havoc as a result. There are those who think that one's personality must override the welfare of the group, and therefore there becomes a power struggle. The old guard of the church can't stand new leadership for fear that there may be a loss in their power to dictate how things may go. And so it has always been from the early history of the church. What James is saying is when this type of thing goes on, nobody wins. Everybody loses. He says you kill, you desire to have, you destroy and you don't gain anything. Why? Because you are 
verse 4, it's very strange. He calls the church people adulterers and adulteresses. He is not meaning that they are immoral to their spouses. He was meaning that they are unfaithful to their God. That they have become so closely related to the affairs of the world that they had really become unfaithful to God. And God is very jealous. You remember how it was when you were a teenager and those fits of jealousy came up in it because your girlfriend or boyfriend was looking cross-eyed at somebody else and you didn't like that? Let me tell you, nobody can hold a candle to God when it comes to jealousy. He is absolutely 100% jealous. And he says it throughout his scripture. He will not tolerate a love affair of his children for the world. And it's jealous if we turn our eyes from him and begin to look at something else. And he says, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve the world, but you're not going to serve both at the same time. And Joshua, that we have been studying about, certainly made it clear to the people, you're going to have to choose. Now, if God is God, make up your mind. Serve him or don't serve him, but don't straddle the fence. The problem that we see in the world is a position of mediocrity when most of us are on the fence and it's difficult to decide which way we're going to flop. Because we really haven't made up our minds either. But Joshua said, now let's, let's get on the ball. Make up your mind. God's God serving. If he's not, fine. Serve somebody else. But make up your mind. Well, I'm going to quit. Because it's hot. A little more to go, but that's not so important. As it is, and I think, that we recognize as a church body and as Christian people in general that if we're going to influence the world for Jesus Christ, it's going to be through a unified approach. When we're what, one mind and one heart, we may disagree on many things, but we will be very agreeable as we work out those disagreements. In this process, we will present Jesus Christ to the world like James and John did, and the church will be behind us. Why do church people fight? Because there's still too much of the devil in us, and we haven't been willing to get him out. When he's gone, we'll be in the day, in full and complete love with each other. Let us pray. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.